With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode Eric Carlson of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore. And Trevor is not with me today, as I've got not one, but two fantastic guests with me here today. And before I introduce them to you, uh, you already know what's happening. You've seen the episode title. We're back for season two of Draft Debaters. That's right, with the 2020 draft coming up hopefully soon. Uh, this is episode one in what's going to be a multi-episode series where the focus will be 100% on 2020 draft prospects. I'm really excited to get started. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be joined by two scouts each episode. Uh, most of which have published a ranking of their top prospects for the draft. Uh, that we pitted against one another to debate the players they have most differently ranked from each other. So you can all hear a variety of perspectives on these players. I'm super excited, and I hope you are too. So let's meet the first two contenders. So on my virtual left, he scouts for the website Future Considerations, and is starting up his own new service called Smash Scouting, which is I think the most Boston thing I've, I've said all year, um, <laughs> all, all, all the way from Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, uh, Josh Tesler. Josh, how's it going? Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Colin. Awesome. Really glad you could uh, join us today. And we've got some excellent competition, too, as on my virtual right, he's a writer for the Prospect Network and has probably been talking about these players since about 2015. Welcome to the podcast, Max, or as you probably know him from Twitter, TPE Hockey. Max, how's it going? Uh, going pretty good. Awesome. So I'm so happy you guys could both join today. Um, if any listeners aren't following you guys on Twitter, uh, you should definitely get on that like right now. <laughs> I'll be sure to link them both in uh, in the description along with um, the rankings that we'll be talking about today. Um, just a little bit about the episode format before we begin. Uh, there are four prospects that we'll be talking about today. Um, I'll read off your rankings for each one. Then you'll both have a chance to state your case while you're high or low on the prospect. And then you'll both have a chance to rebut afterwards. So without further ado, uh, onto the first prospect. We're kind of already breaking the rules already a bit because I kind of want to talk about two players at the same time. And that's Lucas Raymond versus Tim Stutzla. Um, we all know who will probably be taken in the top two this year. That's Lafreniere and Byfield, probably, probably without question. But it's been a long battle for third overall this season with these two specific European forwards, Raymond and Stutzla, looking like the best bets for third overall. So... Josh, you currently have Stutzla ahead of uh, Raymond at third and Raymond at fourth. Well, Max, you kind of have it switched around with Raymond third instead and Stutzla at fourth. So uh, starting with Josh, uh, what do you like most about Stutzla and why do you consider him the third best prospect? So, I mean, throughout this season, I never feel like Stutzla's um, overall game is a tad tad better than Raymond. You know, I mean, and the challenge that Raymond faces that, I mean... I mean, that a lot of the draft prospects that are currently playing in the SHL phase is p- p- playing time. You know, I mean, and it's not fair to judge Raymond on, in terms of the ice time that he's had, but the but Tim Stutzel has made more of the uh, ice time that 
that he, he sorry that he has had in in terms of his playmaking ability uh, sorry his definitely surpasses Raymond um but you know sorry you know but I have been up and down on Raymond throughout the year in in April I had Raymond in the four spot um, and then in my previous rankings, I believe I did back in, I think it was like late December, early January, I had, uh, sorry, I actually had Raymond at three. Um, mm-hmm. but as you know, but as I watched more and more of Tim Stutzel, um, I was, I was way more impressed with his all, all around game in terms of his playmaking ability, as well as his defensive awareness as well. You know, I mean, he's just an all-around outstanding prospect. Mm-hmm, uh, definitely, I d- definitely like Raymond. So I wouldn't take my ranking as a knock on Raymond. It's just that I feel that you know, if you know that if I were in the shoes of a GM right now, um, you know, Tim Stutzel would definitely be higher up on my draft board. For sure, you definitely bring up some good points there, and I'll. Uh... I'll, I'll pass the mic over to over to Max. Um, just to state your case, is there a reason why you might have uh, Raymond still instead of Stutzla at this time of year? Well, I think you know throughout a lot of the season, Raymond didn't exactly get the opportunities that a lot of other of the uh, top prospects in this draft did. You know, he was playing bottom six for Frölunda, which is the premier program in all of Europe, maybe excluding Russia and you know the SK and CSK program. But um, I think when you look at the times where he did get those opportunities and he did have the chance to you know, show how good he could really be, you know, when he played on, um, you know, Team Sweden at the World Juniors and at the under-18s, um, when he was allowed to run his line and be the guy for his squad, I think you really saw him succeed. You know, Stutzel got those opportunities all season, and he, you know, he excelled there. I think he's a premier prospect. I have him at five below Raymond and Rossi. I'm a big fan of Rossi, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think if you compare the times where each of them got to, run the game, be the guy on their line. I think Raymond outperformed a little bit. I like how, you know, Raymond brings uh, super high pace to his game. He always plays at a high speed. And he's really the guy that quarterbacks the his, the line he's on. And um, I think when you watch a guy like that and you see what he can do when he's playing with, you know, players like Alex Holtz, um, who he played with at the World Juniors, when he has those top-tier line mates, he's really good at using them and being creative and making plays for his line mates. And so I think when he gets to the NHL and he has those kinds of guys where, that he can rely on, um, I think he's going to have a lot of success there. Yeah, for yeah, definitely. It's definitely been like a close battle all season, and, and you definitely bring up some good points too. Um, I think the a common theme with both these prospects is that they're just so fast. and We're seeing a lot of these top, uh, really fast players appearing at the top of the draft. Um, and so just going back to Josh, is there any – Anything you have, um, anything that maybe Max said that you kind of disagree with a bit, is, is there any kind of context in in Raymond's point lower point totals? I guess that kind of Max mentioned that um, kind of knock him down just a little a little notch for you. No, 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 no. So for me, I definitely try to put points production aside. You know, sorry, you know, definitely when talking about prospects over in sorry uh, over in Europe, as it is a bigger ice surface. And they're getting limited playing time when you sorry when you compare their playing time to uh, other prospects um, in Canada as well as the U.S. You know, so points production is definitely not bring down Raymond for me. It's just that I feel more and more confident about uh, Tim Stutzel's um, uh, you know skill translating to the National Hockey League. Um, 
you know, better, you know, but with that being said, I do, sorry, I do think that both Raymond and Schutzel will definitely be valuable players in the National Hockey League down, uh, sorry, down the road. I just think that right now I feel more confident with taking Tim Schutzel over, uh, sorry, over Raymond based on what I've seen throughout this year. Totally, and and just as just from the perspective of the, as a Sens fan who's had whose team is probably going to have two top picks this year, it, it's been kind of weird looking at the the fan base's reaction. It's almost like um, there's Lafreniere, Byfield, and then Stutz was kind of their clear number three prospect for for a lot of um, for a lot of Sens fans. It seems like, and I'm wondering for Max, do you do you think that um, I'm wondering if you've seen the same from scouting communities first of all, and, and second of all, if what what, what you might think of of the reaction to that? Like, do you feel like, do you feel like there should be more of a debate for Raymond in, in that third spot? Well, I think there always has been. And a lot of like, I think the fan base has really come to the conclusion that Stutzel is going to be the guy. But um, I think if you look at a, a lot of the scouting community, I think there's a lot of debate between Stutzel, Raymond and Rossi. You know, Ro- Rossi's a guy I think that should be in that conversation. He's mm-hmm. not quite, you know, he's not quite with Raymond for me, but um, I think he's up there and, um, you know, personally, I like Raymond's game. I think, you know, Josh mentioned translatability. I think Raymond's there. He plays with a lot of creativity, a lot of speed. You know, he can overwhelm defenses with just like his IQ, but also he's just super skilled. Um, and I think one thing you got to watch with Stutzel is a lot of his offense I see is generated from gaining speed in the offensive zone. So, you know, he'll take big loops and come around, try to make passes or take shots, get them opportunities. And I think that's something that's not as translatable as a lot of people think. Because um, when the ice gets smaller, you have less space to do that. And a lot of the difference between, like, you know, European hockey and NHL hockey is time. If you have less time to make those plays and less space to, you know, gain his speed, I think he could run into some um, run into some problems there. I think if you watched his – I watched a lot of his games in the Champions Hockey League, and that's where a lot of that came from. You know, he'd, he'd love to take his big loops around the offensive zone and try to gain speed, cut into the middle. And I think that's just not something that – always works for guys in the NHL. I think, you know, some guys like Clayton Keller and Johnny Goudreau can get away with that. But um, I think there's still some questions of whether Stutzel can. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely going to be a debate that's going to go on all the way all the way until draft day, whatever that is. So uh, great points all around. But I think we should move on to our second prospect of the episode, who is the flat-out, no-debate, best goalie of the draft class. And that's Yaroslav Askarov. He's currently expected to be taken... Uh, somewhere inside the top 15 as he played uh, the past season in the VHL in Russia, which is something that's, that's pretty uncommon for draft prospects, but uh, it's something that Askarov did this past year. Um, but for the rankings, Max, you have him all the way at fifth overall in your February rankings. Well, Josh, you have him still, you still have him high up in your rankings, but uh, not quite as high as Max, which is at, uh, but you have him at 10th overall. Um, so starting with Max, you've had some great articles um, this past year about why you love Askarov, but um, I'm wondering, why, why do you consider him a top-five prospect? Well, I think uh, one thing you mentioned is how he plays in the VHL, which isn't a lot of things, which isn't a common thing for draft-eligible Russian goalies. And actually, it's he's the first goalie to ever play um, a significant role in his team's, in his VHL team's net. You know, um, I think, oh, I can't remember the goalie's name right now, but there's only one other goalie that has played in the VHL. And I think he only played a few games. You know, Askarov comes in that league. And he's the second goalie for SK and Neva. Um, and I think that's something that we just haven't seen. And no goalie's done that. If you look at, like, 
past Russian goalies like um, Andre Vasilevsky. He never made the VHL. He stayed in the MHL. He was fantastic, but he never quite made that jump. And I think that's something rare and something you really have to take into account. Um, just how, just how crazy it is that he's playing in the VHL. He even got a game in the KHL, and um, he did quite well against HK Sochi. Um, showed well, got beat twice, but I think he made like you know thirty saves. I think just um, showing at the le- the level that Askarov can compete at is just rare um, for any goalie of his age. And um, you know, I think that's something that has to be taken into account. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, he, he's definitely has the chance to be one of the highest goalies taken to the draft in, in a while. I mean, we, we saw Spencer Knight last year, but Askarov could probably go even higher. And, and going over to Josh, he's still in the top 10, which is still very high for, for a goalie considering most years. But um, is, is there any reason why you don't have him as high as Max at fifth overall? Yeah, so I feel like guys like Rossi, Lindell, Drysdale, Perfetti, and Holtz definitely have more upside in terms of um sorry in terms of their effectiveness um going sorry sorry going forward sorry while he is definitely the uh de facto number one goaltender prospect in the draft class um you know i just don't see him going higher than five in terms of rossi and lundell you know i mean if i were a gm it would be very, very difficult for me to take Yaroslav over Rossi, for example, because of um, because of the offensive uh, production that Rossi brings to the table. While Yaroslav is a is an incredible goaltender prospect, I love how quick he is in terms of um, in terms of his transitions. Um, you know, I mean, and his reflexes are definitely s- superb in terms of going from, from side to side. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of flaws in his game. I just feel like, you know, I mean, in terms of the other prospects that are still, that are still on the board at five, I feel like passing on them at this point doesn't, um, you know, at, you know, at that point just doesn't make that much sense. Um, and also, you know, I mean, like, and also from like a, a team per, sorry, from a team perspective, I mean, if, you know, I mean, if you bank on, for example, the Red Wings and the Sanders um, locking up picks early on in teams like the Buffalo Sabres um, in the, um, in the Habs having picks early on too, and sorry, in the Devils as well. I don't feel like those teams are going to be as aggressive in trying to find a goaltender. You know, while it should always be that you should take the best man on the board, a lot of those teams have already invested in goaltenders in their, uh, sorry, in their system. For example, with the Senators, they have uh, Mads Solgaard that they took, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, that they took last year. And they also have Kukasovson, um, and I'm forgetting the others. The decor, there's there's um, Marcus Hogberg as well in the NHL. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, from a senator's perspective, for example, I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I feel like, you know, I mean, I feel like if you are Dorian at the, at the five spot, you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I would rather go with a Rossi, a Raymond, a Lundell, and a, and a Drysdale over Yarrow, but, you know, you know, so for me, it's, you know, so for me, it's a combo of, 
you know, who, you know, who I believe has much higher upside plus, um, you know, plus the teams that are going to likely be on the board then and they're, you know, what are they more likely to do? And, you know, and I think in terms of Yarrow, I think, um, you know, I, I think the most logical landing spot for him is going to be the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, you know, I, I mean, just, you know, I mean, just from a goaltender depth perspective, um, you know, they've been living and breathing on Corey Crawford and, you know, and at some point Corey Crawford is no longer going to be able to be their de facto number one. Um, and so at some point they are going to need to rely on someone else coming up. And, you know, I mean, in the talent that Yaroslav possesses, I don't, you know, I don't know how you could pass it up if you are, um, you know, I mean, if you are, you know, in the Blackhawks front office. Yeah, totally. Those are all some good points. And uh, I want to bring it back to Max because you had an interesting article that came out uh, fairly recently about the supposed risk of taking a goalie uh, that high in the draft and and banking on goalies in the draft. And I I know there are a lot of people out there, and I've actually been this way too in the past and uh, still somewhat to an extent now, where I'm just kind of very skeptical about goalies to go this high in the draft just because we've seen some busts in the past and goalies development can be pretty tricky to project, especially since most of them don't uh, usually make NHL until uh, a, a bit older than most forward and defense prospects. So I, I'm wondering if you can touch on that and maybe how that applies to us Garver this case. Do you think there is still some of that innate risk of, of just him being a goalie going that high in the draft? Or do you feel that he just kind of transcends that and is one of those elite talents that um, you can kind of just project as an NHLer? Uh, personally, I don't see any of those problems. I think that Askarov is as good of a bet to be an NHL goaltender as Raymond is to be an NHL player or as Stutzel is to be an NHL player. Um, so that article is all about how goaltenders that had lower save percentages, like sub-920 in the CHL, and goaltenders that overperformed in international performances or, you know, did really well at like the World Juniors or the U18s, and then didn't have the same results um, in their regular season, tended to be busts. And almost every single bust throughout the past 20 years fell into one of those two categories. And only three um, goaltenders that didn't have one of those two things in common um, turned out to be busts. And so I think when you look at a guy like Askarov, who's been tremendous in the regular season and um, you know has been just as good in international competition, I don't think there's too many risks there. Uh, you know, to bring it back to the point about teams and which team needs them, I'm actually a Blackhawks fan, so I'd love yeah. it if As- Askarov <laughs> ended up in Chicago. That, that's like my dream. But um, I think if you look at the Senators personally, if they ended up at five, I don't know if they can with the new lottery system they're doing, but if they ended up at five, I'd, I would take Askarov because I'm not confident in their goaltending system. You know, they have, they have a few guys in there. But uh, if you look at, like, Philip Gustafson, he was pretty highly touted. Hasn't done too well in the AHL. That could be Belleville. They haven't been good, if I remember right. And um, they took Mad Sogard, but personally, I'm very low on Mad Sogard. I would not have taken him in the first five rounds of last year. I didn't think his puck tracking and his movement was good enough to be in the NHL. I don't think it's going to translate. Um, but otherwise, you know, I think if you have a top five pick and you're a team that needs a goalie, I think between the three, like pretty much anywhere after like the maybe four spot, you should take a hard look at Askarov and think maybe this should be our guy here. Yeah, for sure. And as a personal disciple of Joey Decord, I can talk to you a bit about him afterwards. Just going back to Josh uh, for, for one more time. Um, 
Uh, Max kind of mentioned this, but his, his international play um, has been very solid in, in the past seasons. But this year, he kind of had a bit of a blip at the World Juniors, uh, where he had um, 88% save percentage, which is, isn't really up to standards for what he was doing in the regular season, especially. But I'm wondering if you think that World Junior performance ends up digging him at the draft table, or whether you think it's actually worth digging him for that performance, or whether you think it will actually end up affecting his draft position. So I, so I really hope that it doesn't, you know, for me personally, I, you know, I tend, you know, I tend to look at those tournaments, um, you know, as not, um, you know, it's not the be all end all, you know, and oftentimes I will definitely back that up. These are goaltenders. It's a little bit different, but you know, but you still have to keep in mind that, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I'm pretty sure that it was his first appearance at the world juniors. Uh, and, you know, I mean, and nervousness definitely could have set in, you know, so, I mean, you like, you definitely have to uh, take that in as well. World juniors play is going to be very, very different than, than, than the team play. I mean, I mean, if we based all of our uh, scouting on world junior play or Helenka Gretzky, um, you know, you, you know, you would definitely see very, very different boards um, for, I mean, for example, um, if you look at, uh, sorry, I mean, if you look at Byfield, um, you know, Byfield's play in the world juniors wasn't, I mean, I mean, wasn't great. And, and there were many things behind that in terms of, um, in terms of him having to play on the wing and guys that had more experience at the world junior level. Um, you know, and, you know, and often when it comes to seniority, definitely plays an, an impact in terms of the roster build out and the, uh, in the lineup build out as well. Um, and so, um, you know, and so with limited playing time and by getting used to playing on the wing, you know, it's, you know, I mean, it is a completely different setting for Byfield. So, you know, and when we go back to the Linka Gretzky, we saw guys like Hendricks Lapierre who were fantastic. And, you know, and then when it came down to team play, you know, I, I mean, if you don't look at the concussions and the, in the neck, sorry, in the neck challenges, uh, Lapierre just wasn't as uh, dynamic in his p- p- playmaking um, when, sorry, when he was healthy and in the lineup for Shikutami. You know, so I tend to look at the World Juniors and um, and other t- tournaments like that. And, you know, and I, you know, and I won't put too many eggs into my into my b- basket based on, uh, sorry, based on t- t- tournament play. Um, you know, but, you know, but it is definitely another chance to see what they are all uh, about and take and get, you know, I mean, and get some more views on. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I personally do not put too much stock in, in terms of, uh, performance at the, at the world juniors. Yeah, for sure. And I think we can all kind of agree that it's just one piece of the puzzle that kind of factors into everything else. And you're right. The settings definitely are different, but, um, one player I want to talk about next for our third prospect, uh, who's arguably the best WHLer in this class. And that's, uh, Seth Jarvis and the winger had, an explosive final few months of the season with an end result of 98 points in the 50 games, almost at 100. And uh, for Josh, that's, that's resulted in, in him being ranked 12th on your board. And for Max, uh, your last ranking from February had him 48th, but um, from what we discussed prior to the episode, has probably risen a bit since he went off in uh, February and March. So uh, we'll go back to Josh for this one. So what is it about Jarvis's game that's faulted him up so many draft lists lately, including yours? 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So in terms of Seth Jarvis, I mean, I definitely love his true transitional play. I mean, he isn't shy about utilizing the boards in terms of moving the puck up and down the ice. You know, I mean, and even when he is in traffic uh, areas, he also pushed the puck off the boards in the neutral zone in order to propel the puck down the ice. As well as in terms of his pie making, I mean, for me, it definitely exceeds uh, guys like Dawson Mercer, Connor Zary, you know, and other guys that I would be taking in the certain. And other guys that I, w- I would be taking in the teens. All in all, I mean, he's definitely been one of my favorite forwards to watch this year. You know, I mean, like, and I definitely think that he could be, you know, a predominant playmaker in the National Hockey League. He's um, he's definitely drawn some um, some wide c- comparables. So while I'm not huge on c- comparables, I've seen people talk about him like he's the next M- M- Matthew Barzell, like he's a Mitch Marner like player. You know, personally, I you know personally, I think he's more of a Mitch Marner light. I don't know if the ceiling is at the at, yeah, is at the Mitch Marner level, you know. But I I think from an overall perspective, you know, he's definitely going to be a very de- dependable top six forward. You know, I, I mean, who can definitely drive his own line. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned that comparable. I mean, if, if you if you can get a Mitch Marner light in the teens, that just kind of speaks to how deep this draft is this year. Uh, so moving to Max. Um, so you, you had him in the second round in your last ranking, and I think you mentioned that uh, you moved him up quite a bit for, for uh, at this point in time. But um, since he went off, completely dominated the scoring charts in uh, in the last few months. Do you find that his weight surge um, affects your rankings that much, or is or are you kind of more convinced now as the season's gone on for him? Uh, I'm definitely more convinced on him. I had him at 47, which is really low, but I also made those rankings. I think it was like right in the first week that he just went on his tirade through the WHL in the late ends of the season. So he's, you know, he's top 20, maybe top 25, um, but he's definitely up there. I do like, you know, a lot of things that Josh said. He's really skilled. He moves at a high pace. You know, he can process the game at that top speed. But, um, you know, personally, there are a lot of guys I like in that range, you know, in that kind of top 20 range. You know, I've got like Merrick Kuznodinov, John Jason Perica, Zion Nybeck, Casper Samanteval, who I know we're talking about a little bit, um, all up in that area. And, you know, the WHL isn't an area I honestly don't I, I honestly don't get to see a lot of those guys, um, especially late in the season. So, you know, I watched them a lot early and I didn't quite see where this was coming from. You know, I didn't I didn't see this coming. I didn't see how he did this. Um so my question is kind of like, oh, what was he doing in that beginning of the season? What happened between, you know, November and February that led to this explosion? And, you know, I think he has a high ceiling and he can be a really good player. But personally, there are other guys I like in that range. Totally. And that's, that's totally fair. And uh, bringing, it, bringing it back to Josh, uh, you mentioned Jarvis as, as, as a high-end playmaker. But I'm also curious because he ended up being third in the entire WHL in goals as well with 42 goals this year. Um, do you think that he could have this goal scoring ability translate just as well as his playmaking ability? Or do you still kind of keep him more as, as a, think of him more as like a, as a, as an elite playmaker first and a goal scorer second? Um, for me, I mean, for me, I've definitely enjoyed his playmaking first and foremost. You know, I mean, I don't know if his goal scoring ability will translate all that well. I mean, when he's on the rush, he definitely seems to be more of a pass-first forward. And I definitely believe that that will translate 
um, better as a playmaker going into the National Hockey League. You know, so I definitely believe that in terms of his playmaking will definitely outweigh his goal, sorry, his goal scoring, you know, but similar t- to Mitch Marner, for example, you know, I mean, if and when Jarvis does get a ton of uh, power play time in the National Hockey League, um, you know, that, you know, that will be another avenue for him to boost up his goal scoring. So, um, so it's pretty, so it's pretty much up in the air in terms of how, sorry, in terms of how Jarvis is de- 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 deployed. You know, it's a, it's a little bit tough for me to say for sure, but you know, I you know at this point, I definitely find his playmaking ability to be much stronger than his goal scoring. Um, I definitely agree with that. I don't see his goal scoring being as big of a threat as he moves into the National Hockey League. Um, I think if you watch him, a lot of his goals come from finessing WHL defenders, and I think the way defense is played in the WHL isn't the best way to show you know how NHL defenses are going to react. You know. Um, WHL, they focus on a much, you know, bigger type of defenseman. They like slowing the game down. I think when you have a guy like Jarvis, they can just cut his way in, go straight to the net, just with speed and his agility. Um, I think that's not going to happen as often in the NHL. I think you're going to get more mobile defensemen that can play better defense um, and not just try to, you know, body you and take the puck off your stick just by, you know, putting the body on. And I'm also not convinced on a shot selection. I think he he does take a lot of good medium danger shots, but I don't think he gets into those really good areas where you have a high chance of scoring. And I don't think his shot is quite there for him to be able to put pucks in the net from non-high danger areas in the NHL. I think that's one of the big questions I have about him. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting to see. I mean, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but this draft class is just so deep that you can have a guy who put up puts up nearly 100 points in the WHL and then ends up going in the teens. Like, it's just that kind of year for the draft. And it's interesting to see that um, there's so many different factors that can be weighed differently for each of these prospects. And speaking of, of that, I kind of want to go on to our last prospect who, uh, who has kind of moved around the draft boards quite a bit this year. And that is Casper uh, Simon Taival. He's kind of been the opposite to Jarvis this year. I found where uh, Simon Taival kind of started very high on a water list and kind of slowly progressed uh, further down some lists where he's now kind of more considered a first or second round range player. Um, he spent the past season in the Finnish Junior A League. And in terms of rankings, Max, you've had him pretty high all season at 14th right now, uh, whereas Josh, you now have him outside the first round at 37th. So, um, Max, we'll start with you this time. Um, what has you convinced that a team should take an early gamble? Um, well, as as I'm sure you guys know, I like to track prospects before their draft year. And Simon Teval was a guy who excelled in his D-1 year, um, playing for Intipara's system. And um, he was really high going into the season, really well looked at. And then he kind of fell off as, you know, he, I think he had an injury earlier in the season and that kind of took him out of play um, and, you know, led to kind of a rough start for him. But I really like, um, I really like his goal scoring ability. I know um, Will uh, Scooching does some great tracking data and his tracking kind of showed how he pushes possession really well. And he's really good at getting dangerous shots, you know, shots from dangerous areas. And I think that works really well with how good his shot is. Um, he's got a really whippy shot. You know, he can get it off, kind of like Austin Matthews, how he can get it through de- defenses. And, you know, maybe he's in a one-on-one, and he'll just shoot, put it above the goal and score. And so um, I really like that ability. You know, he's kind of a stocky kid. He's 5'9", but he's got a lot of power in his legs. And he can, you know, stay on the puck when he's when, under pressure and take those shots when he's under pressure. And um, another good thing he can do is, like, 
he gets a lot of his assists from his shot because instead of putting shots like right into the goalie's glove or into the pads, he likes to aim for, you know, I see him like hitting goalies in the arms a lot and the puck comes right down. And that's a great place to get a good rebound. And, you know, he'll hit goalies in kind of the midsection where it's hard to, not like the stomach, but like a little lower. And that creates a lot of good rebounds for his teammates. He's also pretty good at distributing the puck. You know, he can move the puck to his teammates pretty well. He's not exactly making crazy backdoor passes, but he's he's reading the play and he's making the pass that's going to further, um, you know, the offensive play. And I also like how aggressive he is in the offensive zone. He loves forechecking. He can use his body, even though he's small, to take pucks off guys. And I think that's something that, like, an NHL team can really bring out. And right now, he isn't the best in the defensive zone. But I think if you took some of those qualities that, he's, that he has in the offensive zone where he's taking pucks and he's getting on guys and he's chasing pucks down, I think if he did that in the defensive zone, I think he could really excel and be more of a two-way player. Um, but generally, yeah, I think Simon Teval, if you look at where he's going to be in the NHL, I think he'd be a premier goal scorer, maybe middle six, top, top six, second-line guy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely been an interesting prospect to follow over the past couple of years, as you mentioned. He definitely, um, he definitely performed extremely well in the Junior A League last year as well, and even in the Messes League, he he had quite a few games there. So over to Josh, is there any reason why you might be less convinced on him, or why people should be more skeptical? So I've actually moved him up as of late. So um, and the reason why is that for for us to get consistent views uh, on pr- prospects in Finland. Uh, can definitely be tough, and at the beginning of the year, it um it was for me. Um, you know, I mean, as I was heavily rel- reliant on on sites that do kind of like a sh- 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 shift by shift, and then going back around to like the early February timeframe, I had f- finally found a way in order for me to get um a bit more views of the prospect pool, sorry of the prospect pool coming out of Finland. In terms of his game, I mean, he definitely, um, I mean, he definitely likes to own the ice. Flat out great in transition. In terms of moving the puck from the neutral zone into the offensive zone, um, you know, I mean, as Max brought up, I mean, Casper Simontaville's uh, defensive play is definitely his weakest zone. You know, but sorry, you know, but based on further development um, next year, when sorry, next year when he's going to be able to get more exposure into the Liga. Um, you know, I, you know, I definitely feel confidence in his defensive ability. And for me right now, um, I mean, Casper Simon Tybal would definitely be a late first round pick. I, so I actually looked back at my notes because, because I watched a few more Simon Tybal, uh, games. I think it was like, maybe like three or four weeks ago. Um, and at that, um, and at that point I had him higher than Pono Mayrov on my board. And I think. I think I had Pono at like 32 or 31. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, he's probably, you know, he's probably right around where I have Marat Kuznetinov. Um, and I think I have Marat at like 27, I think. You know, so I definitely enjoy watching Simon Tyvel. It's just that, you know, I mean, like in terms of my limitations with, uh, with, with viewing capabilities, er- I mean, early on this year, it definitely made it hard for me to watch a lot, um, sorry, a lot of his game, and so I was heavily reliant on those uh, on those shift by shift vids. You know, I mean, like as a scout, you know, I mean, like I, 
Um, you know, I mean, I prefer to be open and honest and say like, Hey, you know, I mean, Hey, I mean, I didn't, you know, I mean, Hey, I didn't have the amount of viewings that others had, you know, that I had certain limitations that, uh, you know, that had made it a challenge in order for me to get a lot of views and on him. Totally. And that's totally understandable too. And I, I kind of fall in the same boat there too, where it's just kind of hard to catch some of these, these gains for prospects in Europe. Um, but uh, I kind of want to bring it back to Max just to, as a little more theoretical thing because, and I'm just wondering when you, when it comes to the draft, how do you kind of go about balancing those factors between offensive and, and defense? Do you find that you value uh, one um, more in forwards or just because maybe one's more of a learned aspect or one's more of an innate, like a, a, a talent aspect and, and how do you kind of balance that um, in your draft boards and maybe how that implies to, to see much I value in this case. Um. Personally, when I'm looking at forwards, I don't look at defensive aspects that much. I look at things that could help a player be good at defense, like with Simon Tavel. I like looking at how he chases puck down, chases pucks down in the offensive zone, and he really, you know, goes goes and gets pucks, attacks. You know, the puck carrier forechecks hard. I think those are things that can make you good at defense. But I don't look at the defensive aspect of a player's game very much because I know, especially in junior leagues, the the focus for a lot of these really high tier players in those leagues is offense. You know, your coach doesn't tell your sniper to go, go play defense, go do this, do that in the defensive zone. They tell you to score goals. And a lot of it also comes down to the defensive system that a player plays on. Like, um, I think you got watched like a guy like William Wallander. He played for Moto. And then Moto was like in the second half of the season, they were terrible because they played against the top competition in the Super Elite for the second whole second half of the year. And he had a lot of problems defensively. But a lot of that came from, you know, that Moto not playing as good of a defensive system and he his focus was all on offense. And I think a similar thing was there for Simon Teval. His focus was playing offense and trying to go get and score goals. And I think a lot of, you know, top tier NHL draft prospects are the same way. Their focus is to go out and play offense unless they're a two way player. Um, especially, you know, a guy playing in junior leagues. Yeah, for sure. So the way I kinda of want like to wrap up these episodes, um, is just to talk about some late round sweepers, just some players who uh, aren't going to be taken near the top of the draft, but who just players that you guys are still firm believers in. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let Max talk first about this a bit, but uh, are there any players you want to sh- uh, just want to specifically shout out? Uh, yeah, Alex Gaffney is definitely like one of my favorites in all the draft. I have him, you know, in my third round. He isn't, he hasn't shown that well playing for Muskegon, but I love his style. He's super aggressive, always on the puck. He's super fast. He's super agile. You know, he can just kind of, cut around guys, you know, swivel through defensive, do whatever he wants. But, um, you know, the results kind of haven't been there. And he isn't extremely talented, but he works so hard. I really respect the way he plays. I first saw him at the Kalinka selection camp. Um, you know, Team USA brings in, like, all their under-18 guys that aren't playing for the, the National Development Program, puts them all in a camp, has them play. And I watched that, and he was just – he was fantastic. He dominated. He was, you know, that small, tiny guy – that was, you know, doing it all. That was playing like he was big. And I just really respected the way he played doing that. Daniel Emerson is another guy. He plays for UFA in the MHL. Big, bigger guy, a lot of skill, good shot. Um, you know, a lot of MHL guys don't get attention. Um, Evgeny, or, um, yeah, Dmitry Ovchinikov is another guy who played for Novosibirsk. I think there are a lot of good um, late-round picks that could go to MHL guys who could turn out to be something just because it's such a blind spot. Um, you know, for a lot of scouts, I don't, don't think Russian Junior League get watched that that often. I think that's similar to, um, you know, the Finnish Junior League and why maybe a guy like Simon Table 
Florida ties them. They, they just don't get the exposure. So I think, you know, if you're looking for late round steals, look in those leagues, look in like the MHL and the rush and the uh, Finnish Junior League, and you'll find a lot of good guys. Interesting. And I'm looking at Alex Gaffney right now, and, and as a short 5'7 guy, I can definitely applaud that. So uh, I'll move, that, move over to Josh for just to wrap it up. Do you have any other uh, late round sweepers that you're kind of interested in? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for me, I very much like Santa Peters uh, from the Halifax Mooseheads. While they had a very, very difficult time this year in terms of, um, sorry, in terms of goal production. Um, you know, I mean, he was definitely one of the best football players on the, that team. You know, I mean, he is definitely a power forward by trade. You know, I mean, and I very much like his shot. You know, I can d- definitely see a team going as high on him as like a, I mean, like any, I mean, like any, sorry, anywhere between like a fourth to like a six round pick. And aside from Peters, um, I very much like Jacob Dion from the Drummondville. He is definitely not a prospect that a lot of folks were trying to look at early on. And I mean, from one of my first views of Drummondville, which was back, I want to say, I want to say September, you know, I mean, I very much loved him in terms of, in terms of what he was capable of doing, running the cycle, pinching in, sorry, pinching in the offensive zone, um, um, you know, I mean, and his transitional game too, I think on the back end, I think, you know, I, you know, I think in terms of his gap control um, and his physical play that there is still work that needs to be done there, you know, but I very much like him and I, you know, and I can definitely see teams, you know, taking a shot on him as a mid to late round pick. Um, and, you know, I mean, and some of the, the other guys that I like too are Emil Heinemann, um and yeah, so I mean, you know, so I would definitely say Jacob Dion, Emil Heinemann, and Santa Peters are um are guys that I feel that I am much higher on than others. Um, and I feel um, you know, and I feel that they could be solid ads in the mid to late rounds. Awesome. Well, that just about wraps it up for episode one of Draft Debaters. Uh, but of course, our listeners need to know where to find you guys. So uh, just back to Max for one final time. Where can the listeners find you and anything else you want to plug? Uh, best place to find me is at TPE Hockey. Um, no spaces, no underscore on Twitter. Um, I also write for TPN underscore hockey. Uh, that's the site, site I write for. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And Josh, same to you. Where can everyone find your work? Um, yeah, so everyone can find my work at Future Considerations, um, as well as I, sorry, as well as Colin mentioned earlier, um, I, sorry, I am beginning my own site. Smart Scouting should be live in the next few weeks, um, and um, and my Twitter handle is at Josh Tesler underscore. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for tuning into episode one of season two of Draft Debaters, and a massive thank you to Josh and Max for your time today. Uh, super glad to have you guys on. Just to wrap it up, remind you you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review it on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at KymerCollin and read my articles at Silver7Cents. And for Trevor, even though he wasn't in this episode, you can follow him on Twitter at ShackTS. And you can follow us on Twitter, the podcast, at CPPointcast, where we'll notify you of future episodes, like more Draft Debaters episodes. And just uh, be able to submit listener questions for future episodes. Hope you all stay safe. New episode coming this Thursday. That's all for today, folks. Adios.